everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm your host, Dave Bookbinder. I'm a Senior Director of Valuation Services at CFGI. And in my world, business performance and business valuation is all measured by the numbers. But usually, uh, that doesn't tell the whole story. So this is the show where we dig a little bit deeper, go behind the numbers to understand what really matters most in business. Today, I'm pleased to welcome a special guest who's an attorney at Claire Harrison, uh, Ray Lemish. And we're going to be talking about all things related to business law. Ray, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm, I really appreciate it. So I normally start the program by asking my guests to just give a little bit about their personal and professional background, and then we'll dive in. OK, I am a Philadelphia born and raised. I uh, went to law school in Boston. I've worked at a couple of different firms. I started uh, as a litigator in a couple of small firms, segued to a firm that was fairly small that uh, was more of a business boutique. And I'm now at Claire Harrison, which is a full-service firm based in Philly with offices in Wilmington and Conshohocken and South Jersey. Great. Thank you. So I know you're involved in a lot of different aspects of law, and we're going to try and touch on all of those. But I want to start with one um, that we talked about uh, off-camera, about where people are contacting you in situations where their businesses died, if you will. And uh, you mentioned something that you're often referred to as the undertaker. Yes. And, and of course, we're talking about situations of bankruptcy. Yes. Let, let's, let's start there and talk about it. What, what happens to uh, companies in those circumstances when they're, they're calling you and they tell you that their business has died? Well, frequently when uh, that happens, it's unfortunately a lot of times, I guess, it's, it's already too late. Um, people haven't recognized that their company has failed to the point where resurrecting it becomes very, very difficult. And my reference to being the undertaker is that frequently after I've represented companies through a Chapter 11, ultimately through a reorganization where there's been a confirmed plan, the reorganization ends up frequently being a sale as opposed to a restructuring of the debt. And I've had more than one client come up to me afterwards thanking me, telling me I did a really nice job, and telling me that they hope they never talk to me again. <laughs> because again, they think of me as the undertaker because sure. I have now buried their business. Sure. I think it might make sense real quick to just talk definitionally Chapter 11 versus Chapter 7. Chapter 11 is the restructuring reorganization aspect of the bankruptcy code. Uh, companies, some individuals, high net worth individuals can go through a Chapter 11 where the goal is to restructure the company in some fashion and then reorganize through a confirmed plan. The plan being a contract between the company and its creditors, all of its creditors and its equity holders. And in that circumstance, the hope is that the company will come back out on the back end. now. That's frequently the case, but a lot of times it's with different owners, uh, i.e. a sale. Sometimes, uh, I'd say most of the sales are in a bankruptcy or not um, an equity sale, they're not a sale of ownership interest or a sale of assets. Uh, and that's the way it works. In a Chapter 7, that's a straight liquidation. Uh, you go into a Chapter 7, either as a company or an individual, a Chapter 7 trustee is appointed, essentially becomes the beneficial owner of all the assets of the debtor and the trustee's job is to bring assets into the estate, reduce them to cash, and then make a distribution to creditors. So for the, we'll call them the non-business viewers in our audience when they see on television that a company has filed for bankruptcy, is that typically the 7 or the 11? I'd say typically it's, um, it, it would be an 11, I think. Um, I think individuals typically when you hear bankruptcy, it's probably a 7. Okay. Uh, but there's mixing and matching, and it's, it's always hard to tell. 
And are there forced versus we'll call voluntary bankruptcies? Yes, there's, uh, the, the voluntary bankruptcy is when the company itself makes a determination that it needs to seek the protection of the bankruptcy code in order to continue to operate. And by that I mean once you file, once a company or individual files bankruptcy, it stops collection efforts. So it stops efforts by creditors in their pursuit of claims and or value from the company, lawsuits, things like that. Gives the debtor what is called the breathing room and an opportunity to have a fresh start. And that would be the, the rationale behind coming into bankruptcy voluntarily. Also, there's a circumstance where three creditors may come together and file an involuntary bankruptcy against the company. That usually happens when the creditors feel that the company management is probably not being up upfront with them, and they think that company management may be doing things and uh, lining their own pockets perhaps, or perhaps paying with whatever dwindling assets the company has preferred creditors, and these other creditors are concerned and want to make sure that there's a ratable distribution to all creditors, so they'll file a, an involuntary and frequently involuntary start as Chapter 7s, which are liquidations. Then the company or the individual would have a right to convert that to a Chapter 11 if they wanted to and if they were in the right position to do so. Yeah, so the recurring theme in your answer there was the word creditors. So is it always a circumstance where a company is put into or chooses bankruptcy because they're unable to service their debt or are there other reasons why companies might pursue bankruptcy? I think, I guess there are a variety of reasons. I think the most compelling reason is because of creditor and creditor pressure. Mm -hmm. And generally when companies come to me, a lot of times companies will come to me and they'll say, we need to file a bankruptcy, and my first question is why? What's about to happen that is causing you to do this? Is there a creditor that's coming against you? Are you in a situation where you need to rectify certain problems of the business? And do you think bankruptcy will help? And that's the discussion point. Um, it's not always pure creditor pressure, there are sometimes it's a restructuring, just a pure restructuring of the equity and the debt position. And so there's a cooperative nature between the, the debtor and some of the larger creditors. And the filing will frequently in that situation be accompanied by a prepackaged plan where they've already actually voted on the plan prior to the filing of the bankruptcy. Let's talk a little bit about that, that concept of reorganization, because that's an alternative to bankruptcy, right? Well, reorganization, you can use, you can reorganize in a bankruptcy in a bankruptcy proceeding. You can also do an out-of-court restructuring where you essentially reorganize without the benefit of the, of the bankruptcy code and the bankruptcy laws. Okay. So is there such a thing as a strategic bankruptcy? Yeah, a lot of companies will do a strategic bankruptcy um, and that would be more of the restructuring of the capital structure, the debt structure, maybe turning certain amount of debt into equity, maybe there's a sale lined up and for some are, part, some are all of the business assets. And so you're doing it as um, a strategic maneuver to try and enhance the business value. Okay, Ray, if the audience wants to know a little bit more about you, your practice, how they may be able to work with you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, you can contact me uh, through uh, an email, rlemish at claire, K-L-E-H-R dot com. Uh, you can always feel free to give me a call, 215-569-4298. That's my direct dial uh, in my business, business phone. And either of those mechanisms work. You can also get on the Claire website and look me up if that's what you want to do and um, contact me through that process because then that link to my email there. And you can get Very in touch good. with me. Awesome. 
What happens to management, Ray, in the course of a bankruptcy proceeding? Uh, obviously, that depends a lot on the proceeding and the pressures. Uh, oftentimes, especially these days, management is actually sort of displaced before the bankruptcy. Companies will recognize they're having financial troubles. Mm -hmm. The secured creditors are putting pressure on the company to do something. And the secured creditors may have lost um, uh, comfort and belief in the current management team. And so they put pressure on the company to bring in an outside uh, person, a CRO, uh, chief restructuring officer, okay. who will come in and essentially take over management of the company and operate the company through the bankruptcy and through the process that uh, ultimately uh, transpires. Okay, we only have a couple more minutes here in this first segment, but I want to have you touch on uh, the process and the timing, if you will. Uh, the process of a bankruptcy, getting into bankruptcy, as I often tell clients when they come to me, is really easy. Corporate resolution, you fill out some papers, you pay a fee, you're in bankruptcy. The key, though, is having a plan to get out of bankruptcy. That is not so simple. Once you're in bankruptcy, you can't just turn around the next day and say, you know, I'm just kidding, I want to get out of bankruptcy. That's not the way it works. And so you need, a, you need some thought to go into bankruptcy. And it, although it's true that there's sometimes there's not a lot of thought you can put into it because of imminent loss of a business asset through uh, some sort of action by a creditor. But if you have the opportunity, pre-planning is very important. And I would say filing a bankruptcy could take as little as literally an hour, um, but properly planning for it. Uh, waiting for like a business cycle. Some companies wait until they're, they're a cyclical business. Maybe they're a, a seller of widgets that sell most, um, I guess, best uh, in the Christmas season, you know, the holiday season. Yeah. So instead of filing before you have to expend money, if you've got the assets, maybe you wait until your cash flush after the season, and then you, then you have some cash uh, in your bank account in order to carry you for a little bit. Um, so pre-banking planning can, can last for a period of time. Once you're in bankruptcy, you could be there anywhere from as little, I've had cases that have come out of bankruptcy in as little as six weeks, to those that'll last for several years. Yeah, and you're involved in that planning of the emergence, aren't you? Uh, I think it's, it's best if you involve your bankruptcy attorney in that planning process. Mm -hmm so the attorney can instruct you and provide to you information as to what's going to happen. There are a lot of things that happen when you file a bankruptcy that need to be focused on. Um, you frequently, with your creditors, you go from having terms to maybe COD. It creates a cash crunch. People need to think about the business operations need to plan for that. There are certain expenditures that may be coming up that as bankruptcy practitioner, you know that the, that the company is going to need X amount of dollars in cash. They have to renew their insurance. Once you're in bankruptcy, insurance companies may not float you the way they would normally do so. So now you have to go out and borrow money, make a big down payment on what could be a $100,000 liability insurance policy. Maybe you have to pay 40 grand up front in order to be able to get the policy and get financing terms. So there is a certain amount of planning that would probably best be done with a bankruptcy professional who's been through the ropes, understands the process, and can really inform the company and the company's management team what's to be expected of them, what they can do in a bankruptcy, and what they can't do in a bankruptcy. The operation of the business changes in some fashion once you file a bankruptcy. Yeah, big time. 
On that note, we're going to have to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We've got to take a quick pause to pay some bills, and we'll be right back on Behind the Numbers. I work 13 hours a day, six days a week. So when I'm off the clock, I got to get stuff done. So when I need a snack, I need something healthy, tasty, and easy to eat. Like wonderful pistachios without the shells. They're protein-powered, delicious, and great on the go. And that's perfect for me. Thanks, Liz. A woman without a lot of time. Whether you're a gourmet cook or just want to eat like one, visit Rostelli Market Fresh, your home for the freshest locally sourced ingredients to please everyone who loves great food. Our organic meats, quality seafood, and free-range poultry are cut fresh to order. Chefs create culinary-inspired prep foods made fresh every day, which pair nicely with our vast selection of fine wines and spirits. Choose from handmade pastas, artisan cheeses, organic produce, and grocery items, all from the finest purveyors. Rostelli Market Fresh, from our family to yours. RVN TV is a platform for people of any industry to share their story. Over 285,000 viewers are tuning in to RVN TV shows monthly. We guarantee a great experience that you'll be sharing with everyone you know while increasing your personal and company's brand awareness. But what is your brand? According to Forbes, it's a combination of your logo, your product, your design and feel, and your personality. Did you know that aside from being a guest, we offer even more opportunity to boost your brand? Adding your company logo and website on screen during your interview will allow viewers to recognize your brand instantly. Incorporating images and video clips is another great way to showcase your product during your live segment. Let viewers see how good you really are. And most importantly, there's you and your interview. For less than the cost of a newspaper, direct mail, or a magazine ad, you can leave our studio and within 48 hours have a permanent digital copy of your live segment to link to your social media, embed into your company website, or use in email marketing. Investing in your brand is so very important, and we can't wait to have you. Welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder. Today we're talking about things related to bankruptcy and other legal topics with my guest Ray Lemish, who's a partner at the law firm of Claire Harrison. And before the break, we spent a lot of time talking about the dark side. We've talked about bankruptcy. Let's shift it just a little bit and talk about alternatives to bankruptcy, Ray. What options are available to companies um, besides Chapter 7 or Chapter 11? Okay. Well, the first thing I would say is uh, I know we, we joked about it being sort of the dark side, but there is, a, there is a light at the end of the tunnel frequently in an insolvency proceeding, so um, it's not completely the dark side. Um, but in terms of alternatives, there are uh, a variety. There's uh, out-of-court workouts, which actually are pretty popular and can be very effective. As I found over the course of time, the threat of a bankruptcy is sometimes a better tool than the actual bankruptcy. 
Uh, creditors don't like to be in a situation where they know you're going to be in bankruptcy because they've been down that road before and they know that their back debt is going to get paid if they're an unsecured creditor, pennies on the dollar. Even secured creditors recognize they can lose significant value in the filing of a bankruptcy. And so out-of-court workouts can be uh, very helpful. Uh, you also have other state court remedies. Um, there's something in most every state, uh, it's sometimes it's statutory, sometimes it's common law, called, called an assignment for benefit of creditors. Uh, I've done a few of those over the course of my time, and um, those also can be very effective. They're a less expensive alternative. Uh, they're also less rigid in the sense that there aren't as many rules. The statutes are fairly skimpy, and therefore there's, it's, there's a little more of a wild west approach to what you can do in a, an assignment for benefit of creditors. And in that uh, type of a matter and transaction, the assets of the debtor are assigned to a third party who is essentially uh, the de facto trustee, who is then charged with the obligation of trying to sell the assets. Uh, but it's, it's, under this, it's under the court, the state court supervision frequently, although not always, depending on whether you're doing a statutory or common law um, out-of-court workout in that sense or uh, assignment for benefit of creditors. And uh, frequently in that situation, um, the trustee, the party who's the assignee, uh, has a fair amount of control. And um, again, we'll go through the process. There's a proof of claim process. There's a distribution process. There's um, all the things that you would expect in a bankruptcy but they happen faster and there's with less court oversight. It's more, you go to court to bless certain things, perhaps, but if there's not like a US trustee looking over your shoulder who's going to say, you have to do this, you have to do that. The reporting requirements are much less and as a result, it's a, it's a more streamlined and less expensive process, but again, it doesn't have the bells and whistles that a bankruptcy proceeding can actually provide for you in a, like a Chapter 11, for instance, and therefore it's, it's not something that a more complicated business might want to use. Okay, real quick, and then we're going to move on to other topics, but equity holders, I guess in the bankruptcy scenario, they're out of luck. In any of the alternatives, is there any chance of salvaging any value? Uh, well, even in, in Chapter 11, equity holders are not necessarily out of luck. There, it, it can a certainly happen, and it has happened in cases I've been involved in where equity holders retain their value. Uh, frequently, they have to put in more value, new value, to, in order to keep what they have, and there's a whole process for that, which I won't go into because we're getting we're getting too much into the weeds. Uh, but it is also frequently the case that the current equity is, is uh, out of the money and is, is a loser in that sense. Um, it may, they may be a winner because they extricate themselves from certain personal obligations perhaps, uh, but as a result of that, um, they're, they're generally not in control of the business anymore. In the alternatives, in an out-of-court workout, then you're still in control of the company and you retain that, generally speaking. Um, in an uh, assignment for benefit of creditors, you're assigning all the assets of the company to a third party. So although the company may still exist, it doesn't have any assets and it has no value. And so it would be, it, it would, there, you would say, okay, well, you may still be an equity holder, but an equity holder of what? Gotcha. We only have about five more minutes left in the segment. Time flies here. So I want to talk about some of the, we'll call later stuff, more positive stuff, because besides bankruptcy, you're also, we'll call a general business attorney and you help companies with growth. 
uh, organic growth, growth by acquisition. Talk a little bit about that side of your practice. Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, yes, um, I help companies now much more frequently, and, and, and I kind of like that uh, on a positive side. Um, I've gotten introduced to various companies, uh, help them raise capital, help them find targets for acquisition. I don't, I don't do the investment banking part of it, but I can help companies make the right decision at the right time. Is like, is, that's the way I sort of look at it. Because sometimes making a decision that could be right in six months is wrong today. And so part of that is drawing upon my experience and knowing how the business puzzle fits together. A lot of that through Chapter 11 work, but part of it through my healthy M&A work and just my general litigation knowledge of how things work out and understanding what a company's problems are. I think I'm in, in a good position to try and focus the company on, on next steps and how to take a problem that they may see, resolve the problem, and hopefully avoid other problems that maybe they don't foresee. And from a healthy company perspective, it's all about helping the company uh, go forward and develop its plan and help them to achieve their goals. A company may have a variety of goals. They may want to be acquisition focused. I can be very helpful in that regard because one way of getting an acquisition is finding a troubled company. You may get a better deal, but there may be some downside with it. So there are things you have to look at and focus on if you're going to go that route. And even if you think you're acquiring a healthy business or the assets of a healthy business, there's still some things that you may want to look at and, and some tires you want to kick just to make sure that, in fact, the company truly is healthy enough that an acquisition wouldn't lead to problems down the road. Yeah, in the very last couple of moments here that we have in the program, talk a little bit about fair consideration, buy side, sell side. Well, it, there's always that, there was always a concern that if you're going to be an acquirer of assets, that down the road the selling company may end up in an insolvency proceeding. And there's a look back period under the bankruptcy code, as there is under state law, for what would be called a fraudulent conveyance, i.e. Uh, um, in, insufficient consideration paid for the assets sold. And so one thing you always have to be focused on, I think, when you're acquiring assets from any company is to understand what that company's actual financial position is. And if there's any doubt, one of the things you may want to do is consider looking for a third-party analysis to prove value so that you know you're paying fair value. And so if two years down the road you're sued for some sort of a fraudulent conveyance in any form, you can at least point to an objective standard that says, hey, this is what we did. And at that time, this is what the value was because you can imagine trying to determine the value of a company today, two years from today, becomes difficult because then you're making a whole bunch of assumptions and experts make a whole bunch of different assumptions. And so it becomes problematic and therefore having the value today is always a much better situation. And that's where someone like you might come in to help with the valuation issue and what is a company really worth, whether it's a fairness opinion or just a straight valuation or some understanding of what it is you're buying and are you really paying fair value? Because if you're not, it, you maybe get a better deal today, but it may lead to a bigger problem tomorrow. That resonates. How can people contact you if they want to learn more? Again, you can uh, send me <coughs> an email at rlemish at claire, K-L-E-H-R dot com. You can give me a call at 215-569-4298. Uh, if you want to look at our website, uh, it, you know, you can go uh, do that, and in which case uh, you can come and con contact me through that process. 
Gotcha. I think we have time for one more quick question, Ray. So for the folks who are watching who may be business owners contemplating an acquisition in the very near term, what's the best piece of advice you might offer them? I know that's not a fair question. Uh, the best piece of advice I would offer them would be to make sure you know what you're getting. And that involves a lot of, you know, not say a lot, but a certain amount of due diligence. Um, and when I say know what you're getting, I don't mean just the sticks and bricks, essentially, of the business assets that you're getting, but understand what it is you're buying into, what's down the road, the company you're purchasing from, what is that company all about, are you putting the proper pieces in place, are you getting the right non-competes, are you really protecting yourself down the road, are you getting all the IP necessary if you're buying a business, are you getting the key personnel that might be, might be the key to the operation of the company. Uh, an expertise perhaps that you don't have yet in-house. Uh, and then in course, the, the other part of it is, are you buying an asset from a company that may be sick and you're just not aware of it until you dig a little deeper so you can protect yourself against a potential problem such as a fraudulent conveyance claim against, uh, against your company as the buyer down the road? That's great counsel. And one other thing that, that I see and experience an awful lot is the post-merger integration uh, after the acquisition is done. Uh, most deals don't realize the projected synergies, not because of uh, inability to merge systems, but the inability to actually blend cultures and people. I think that's a very important thing, and I think that's, that's something that companies should obviously consider. Um, I, don't, I don't know how easy that is to, to discern up front. I think that's just part of your human due diligence as opposed to your financial due diligence, understanding the culture of a company you're buying and, and making sure it matches with the, com the culture of the company that you currently have. Um, I would agree with your analysis. I think it's a hard thing to, to peg, but it's an important thing to try and reach. Yep, yeah, no question. And I think we are out of time here on Behind the Numbers, so I want to thank you very much, Ray, for being my guest today. Pleasure chatting the dark side of law as well <laughs> as the, uh, the fun parts as well. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and we will see you again next time on Behind the Numbers.